This is the Saltwater and Honey podcast. I'm Sheila. And I'm Lizzie. This podcast is about infertility, miscarriage, childlessness and faith. This episode is a bonus episode, which, you know, you'd be surprised. It's only the second episode, but we've had brilliant feedback. From our husbands. <laughs> from our husbands and others. Yeah. But just, just kind of helping us along our podcast journey. Yeah, we, as you can tell, we're not professionals. What? Um, <laughs> yes, surprise. <laughs> and also, we didn't really research or plan or really have any strategy about how to introduce this that is that's how we work yes we have like an idea don't we a passion we talk about it for months and months and months years even and then we just suddenly do it without any preparation yes and um this is how we started our podcast yeah and the feedback we got was it was great (laughs) oh darling it was great you guys are naturals we really enjoy it but you assume a lot about people's knowledge of your stories and the blog and so we're just going to track back a little bit um, and fill in some blanks yeah they kind of introduced a bit of a praise sandwich um <laughs> was it a shit sandwich? Sorry, oh, no. you can say that okay oh, i don't um, know do we have to oh we've got to learn the rules i only said half the words yeah okay so sheila um I think what the reason why we wanted to do this podcast is it's a lot of it's based on our own experiences. Isn't yeah. It? And yeah. so, what as what is your story? Um, okay. Also, oh, we're going to start with yeah, me. I yeah. To go straight okay. In. okay. All right. Bossy. Yeah. Um, so our journey of infertility. Um, we we've been married almost fourteen years this summer, actually. Um, and about five years into marriage, you know, because it's the five year plan, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like you get married and it's like, you well, married I'm, young as well. We married. Oh my goodness, Ellis looks like sixteen in our wedding photo. It's just <laughs> wrong. Um, I am. I have been mistaken for his mother. I'm just going to share that. Uh, which that's a whole other story. Mm. Um, so we we just got on with our careers, didn't really think, had a lot of fun. But then your friends start having children, and you know the the plan and the dream is always to have children at the same time as your friends because then you have coffee dates and everything's just glorious, isn't it? And um, and so we're like, well, we could start trying, you know. And so you you we started trying, um, but nothing really happened. Um, well, it's not that nothing happened. <laughs> it's like, oh, did, did you do something? Um, no, <laughs> uh, I was marking my books. Um, <laughs> we we didn't get pregnant, um, and f- it was for over a year, I think, before we were like, maybe we should go to the doctor. Like, I'd never really thought about infertility. No, um, I don't know what. Like, it's not that I hadn't known about it, mm. and obviously. I guess it wasn't as talked about as it is now. Yeah. Um, and went to the doctors just expecting, I expected them to tell me I was stressed. You know, like yeah. how often you get, oh, you're just stressed. Because I was a teacher, mm. you know, I was stressed. <laughs> yeah, you, have, you were busy. <laughs> yeah, right? and I wasn't, I, yeah, maybe I wasn't at my healthiest or mm. something. And, and I figured it would be something easy. We had all the initial tests where it's blood tests for me. And then he had to go and do his do his thing <laughs> in a cup. In as what Dave says, it's the masturbatorium. Isn't yeah, it? That's what, yeah. <laughs> is that what they call it? Yeah, um, with the slippery chair and the porn. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. Um, so Ellis trotted off um, to do. <laughs> that sounds gross, but he went off to do that, and we got um, that analysis back, and it it was. I can't remember if I was there for the first feedback or not, or whether they. They told him he had to go for a second test because, yeah. oh no, I think I was there because they were like, oh, th- there wasn't any sperm in there. And I was 
I literally thought he must have done it wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I was like, you had one thing to do. You surely have done this before. Like, did, did you miss the cup? Like, I was like, oh, did the, did the sperms jump out? And only then... And then also, you start realising, like, there's different... Like, that's there's semen and there's sperm and, like, and working out. That yeah. They're not the same. No, I know. Because it's like... I don't... I've never researched it before. I don't know what goes on with that. It's like... Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, so that was quite interesting. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this time you go, you do it properly, you get them all in there. Um, and so then that that in that autumn was the second um sample and we we were told oh there was zero sperm in your in your sample and that was just again you're not quite sure what you're hearing yeah because you know you need sperm to have a baby and so that the, yeah that was that was the hardest um point because it was so like it was just it just felt so alien yeah um so for us we entered the world of azuspermia that sounds like like a mystical land you know like <laughs> mr majorius azuspermia emporium <laughs> yeah it's not quite as exciting there's no that. sperm there's no, no sperm just zero yeah. yeah doesn't it make you think about like a sperm whale Imagine no, if... I've never. It, it hasn't. Actually, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Sorry, but um, yeah. So we entered the world of azuspermia, and so obviously you turn to Google and you start looking up everything, and it wasn't as hopeless as I'd first thought mm. because there can be lots of reasons for there being no sperm in a sample. So again, you lose hope and quickly hope rises yeah. up, um, and you start looking into other ways. We're really lucky that Ellis's um, work had some. Um, private medical stuff we could access so we went to see a consultant who did like a lot of the initial tests for us Mm. um which meant it wasn't it didn't um like it wasn't clear what it was but it meant he had to go for further invasive testing Mm. (laughs) if that makes sense so um we knew he'd have to be looked at (laughs) grim um and uh that that actually sped things along Mm. Because we were in the NHS system, but by going private, it, it pushed... He wrote a letter to our GP. He recommended someone at UCL, um, which was really helpful because it moved us forward then yeah. more more to finding out some answers, not necessarily to what we would do, but just to kind of know what our diagnosis was. Mm. Um, and, that, and then we waited because you're obviously in the system and you have to wait. And we dealt with that in very different ways. Um, I'm so lucky like I worked in an amazing school um, my colleagues like are some of my dearest friends and just I told a few of them um, and felt really looked after my my partner teacher was going through difficult stuff that year and we just sort of looked after each other um, and but I knew I wasn't operating at my best um, so I went to my head teacher to tell her um, which I think was probably it's really weird because it's I never questioned it because mm. I just didn't want any expectations of me to be operating at my best. Yeah. So it's funny because it sounds really brave, but it was more because I didn't want anything else being put on me because yeah. I knew I couldn't cope. Whereas Ellis, you would have thought the opposite, like you, you wouldn't have noticed anything had happened. Mm. He was just kind of carrying on. Um, and that went on for a few months until like the Christmas January um, and he'd had a promotion at work and it just seemed to be this kind of 
the the straw that broke the camel's back Mm -hmm. and that he went back in the January and he couldn't stop crying. He couldn't work. He froze and he just crumbled. Um, And he came home one night and was like, I can't, I can't go back there. I can't do this. Um, And ultimately the underlying factor was the infertility was the feeling inept feeling unable to do what he needed to do to to function as a man and like that pressure to provide the sperm for the baby Mm. the longed for baby um and it meant we entered a period where ellis uh was off work for i think four or five months on and off um he was on medication anti-anxiety and depression medication he began to see a counsellor and closer to the time when he wanted to return to work or he was feeling stronger he was seeing a CBT counsellor which is cognitive behaviour therapy behaviour which was much more specific to okay what are the triggers and stuff which seemed to help um yeah and so in that whole process he just completely crumbled and I literally sometimes I can't really remember that period like I know I can't remember everything because it was a day-to-day survival thing his parents came and lived with us for like the initial stages because I couldn't do it all on my own to look after him and um but it was really it was just really awful there was no other way to to (laughs) say and at that same time he was in the process of finding out if he was going to be a vicar so going through what they call discernment we went to Ridley to um be interviewed Dave showed us around um and that's my husband that's oh yeah sorry the husband (laughs) we see again assuming so much um but and so all of that time there's this really hopeful thing of something that um we he was longing for um and he got he got through that yeah um and it was so to fast well fast forward a little bit um in 2012 in the July he'd had um a micro tease which I I always go like, yeah, they slice open the testicle, but they don't oh. slice open the testicle. I think they go in and take like a bit, but it's quite invasive and quite horrible. And the balls like balloon. <laughs> it's, like, it's so, so gross. Bad. It's so gross. Um, <laughs> just the one. Um, and and that's when we found out on the opening ceremony of um, the Olympic Games, we discovered that we, we were unable to have uh, biological children together. And so that was the start of us figuring out what we would do. Mm. moving forward um and I can't remember if I if we talked about this about I think we did when we talked yeah. about how Saltwood and Honey began that we ended up using a donor um but that was like two and a bit years later mm. that we came to that um so yeah it was it was a a tough route so male infertility is our Mm. our label yeah 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 that is a lot of Sheila talking (laughs) it's okay yeah right come on Lizzie okay um your story for me um yeah we in uh the Christian world we got married quite old I was 28 Mm. um yeah ancient (laughs) ancient um yeah we basically within our first year of marriage I got pregnant and um within I think it was about eight weeks of the pregnancy, um, I had a miscarriage. Uh, we just went to the out-of-hour surgery. He said it's very common, and we went back home, went to work the next day. Didn't really... Well, we told people, but just you just something you just get over. It, it, no one made a big fuss about it. Um, then, after, during, like, the 
I had to go for a scan, a traumatic scan, because I never realised that ultrasounds go up you and not just on your belly. <laughs> um, but they discovered that I had endometriosis, and so then I had to have like a laparoscopy to get rid of cysts and stuff like that. And the solution to help endometriosis is to get pregnant again, even though it affects your fertility, which is ironic. But anyway, um, went on to get pregnant, um, kind of into our second year of marriage, got pregnant again. Um, this time it, I was pregnant for a bit longer, it was probably about eight, about 10 weeks, had another miscarriage. Six months later, pregnant again, um, about 10 weeks again, I had another miscarriage. Um, each one became more traumatic physically and also the grief kind of compounded itself and uh, yeah we I still had no vocabulary to talk about it at three miscarriages you do uh, then you're, you're kind of eligible to have tests and so we went for lots of tests um, it was mostly me the guy I think Dave felt a bit guilty that uh, <laughs> he only had to like give a little bit of blood yeah and, um, and again, use the cup. Um, but uh, yeah, it, that was like months of tests and the hope that we would find a reason why this was happening. But with miscarriage, only really 50% of of couples ever find out why they've miscarried. Mm. There's, it's such an underfunded like research area, really. And uh, we were in that 50% of people who never find out. So we had we had no answers and nothing that we could do really to help apart from obviously get thinner oh yeah yeah the age old yeah just you're too fat <laughs> but um so we we carried on uh then we moved to for Dave to train to be a vicar and um <clears throat> it was possibly one of the worst years of, or one of the worst years of our lives um, because I love how you, um, we can rank them. Yeah, right? like one because it was no, we've had worse. <laughs> um, but uh, we moved into a community of people that were just having babies all the time, and I became really obsessed with the need to be a mother, um, and I just didn't feel part of the world that I was in. And um, after our first year there, um, I got pregnant and really believe this was the solution this was my moment to kind of finally join in with the lives of those around me and then I had another miscarriage and it kind of promptly followed kind of like a bit of a breakdown really of of having realized that I'd lost myself in this pursuit of motherhood Mm. um and we had that was during the 2012 Olympics which we now call the summer of hell um (laughs) and we were very alone because everyone at the Vicar Training College they'd all gone off to do placements and we were just left in the city of where we didn't really know anyone um, grieving another loss and um, as a result I, I developed epilepsy through the stress where I lost my memory um, my body was wrecked and I had to give up work because I just couldn't do the job I was doing we I then went on to have two more pregnancies and I miscarried both of them. So I've had six miscarriages in total. The They just got worse and in, incredibly traumatic. And there is like a lot of research that talks about PTSD as a result of, mm. of experiencing miscarriage. And after my fifth miscarriage, when I started seeing a counsellor, she definitely identified that I, I manifested a lot of those 
traits mm. of having experienced PTSD after that miscarriage. Um, again, we, we got referred to another clinic. We never found any reasons, any answers why we miscarried. And since then, that was about five years ago um, when I was pregnant last, and I've not been pregnant again. We've had fertility tests. Once again, there is nothing wrong with us, apart from I'm getting older and I'm still overweight. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, other than that, like, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to conceive. Mm. Um, we were offered IVF, but to be honest, um, I couldn't handle it because my body had gone through so much mm. for so many years and so many tests. And the problem for us was miscarriage. It wasn't conceiving, yeah. you know, historically. And we both just, we had, I think that was the line, really, with with, with treatment. Yeah. Was we just, we just couldn't face anymore. It, it had consumed and dominated so many years of our life and the waiting mm. and the appointments. So now, today, um, we still don't have children, um, and it's been a process of coming to terms with that and feeling and believing that I still have, like, purpose and value, Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's grieving that kind of role as well as the children that we've lost. Um, Mm. So that's that's where we find ourselves now. Um, the reason really why we wanted to start this podcast is we we started a blog a few years ago, didn't we? Yeah. And I think um, this is an extension of that conversation, yeah. isn't it? And like we're, we're conscious that a lot of our fertility journey happened, it feels like it happened a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, but it's still very current in, in that sense, isn't it? Like yeah. it's not, um, like I think people often look at us as well where we have our son and it's like it's all resolved it's all tidied up and you're you kind of want to say well we're still we're an infertile couple mm-hmm. who are parenting <laughs> like we've got a child um but we're still uh you know it's still not resolved in the sense of for some people they can have IVF and then um go on to have children naturally afterwards yeah um and so that that's there's something that has then clicked into place, hasn't there? But oh, uh, my son has just come in. Um, uh, <laughs> this is not good. I think it's really important that we um, carry on talking about it, even though we know our stories yeah. have altered or, or they're, not, they're not as raw. We often talk about that, don't we? Like mm. it's not as in the middle, which is where we started yeah. our blog. Um, but it's still important to us that like carrying those stories is so important to us. Definitely. I think they they are always going to be part of our story. And something we believe really strongly is the need to own your story. Yeah. And um, because it shapes you and changes you. And an important part of it, as we mentioned at the start of every episode, is faith. Yeah. Um, it's that is a vital aspect yeah. of our stories that in in the midst of uh, dealing with infertility, we're wrestling with questions of faith as Christians yeah. um, and what that means to us and a God that is good in the midst of pain and struggle. Definitely, because it, it's so hard. You're trying to look for answers and um, like everyone says, like your faith should encourage you when you're struggling, but mm. it, it doesn't happen straight away. Mm. And um, I I think we both believe that maybe the church 
often doesn't know how to handle the stories of the infertile, those who have lost children, and especially like those who are single and childless yeah. by circumstance, yeah. that often they feel really isolated by the church. And we've experienced that as yeah. well as vicars' wives. <laughs> there have been many times we've not gone to church. Oh, yeah. And, and really hated it. Yeah. And, and it's made us feel way worse. Well, I would um, probably say that that, that year of... Um, diagnosis and coping I didn't really go to church so the year before we went to college for him to train to be vicar I I barely set foot in a church um and because it was the worst place Mm. it was the worst and I think we what we want is for people to see that actually that doesn't represent what Christianity represents to those struggling yeah it's hard I think the unfortunately like sometimes the church can be a very difficult place but God and the Christian faith actually has a lot to offer yeah those who struggle with infertility miscarriage and childlessness mm. and we are firm believers in lament yeah and the power of lament in yeah. grieving like what is the pre grief is the precondition to joy definitely um and so therefore the church has something to offer in saying, let's help you grieve well. Mm. Um, infertility is a form of grief. And it wasn't until we understood that, yeah. that we fully allowed ourselves to grieve and begin to heal. Yeah. Um, otherwise, all you're, you're living in the heart of that grief, aren't you? Yeah. And that's it's difficult because you can't move forward. Yeah. You can't like what is happening to you right now. Um, if, if this is part of your story it will always be part of your story and and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that and I think what's amazing is the bible never edits out the bad bits Mm. um whether it's about someone's character like David he was a man after God's own heart he also had an affair and then killed the woman he had an affair killed her husband yeah that's still written in that's not the best it's not the best (laughs) like I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that but it's still included yeah and so are the stories of infertility yeah and there a lot of space is given to them and so there's over like 20 examples of the stories of infertility in the bible Mm. and it it shows also it's it's a reasonable expectation that a, a proportion of society will go through mm. this and, and those who follow God. You know what I always found an encouragement was how the Bible really honours a broken heart. Yeah. And how we try and avoid acknowledging our hearts are broken. Mm. Yet the Bible is full of uh, verses and encouragement that a broken heart is mm. uh, is absolutely okay and God will bind it. He will hold it. He's there. Like, yeah. don't hide your broken heart. Don't pretend you're okay because um, without if you hide it you'll you'll never find healing no and and what christianity can offer is it will help you find purpose and meaning in your pain because mm. the secular world just has nothing to offer in in those well i, yeah. I, I believe that and i don't think our culture is good at navigating pain mm. and it sees it as an interruption to your life but us what we want to do is talk about these stories yeah talk about that experience because it's not an interruption it's an important part of your story and it has the potential to um bring new meaning and transformation yeah of character in, in so many positive ways yeah. as well like and if you're listening mm. and you are not a person of faith or um don't be put off we won't we won't be badgering you um but it is an important part of our story which is yeah. why we want to talk about it um and also i think for this podcast um it's not just for people who are experiencing infertility or miscarriage or yeah. childlessness. It's also for those who maybe you know someone 
who's going through it and you want to know how to support them better. Um, You just want to understand this experience better. Um, It could be you're involved in some kind of leadership and you want to know how oh, to... Oh, if you are and you're listening, listen, you well know. done. Thank you. Good one. Yeah. You get a star. <laughs> just wanting to understand it just pushes you way further forward than yeah. so many people. Oh my goodness. You're um, a gift. Yeah, straight away. A lot of people don't yeah. know how to support people, yeah. other people that are struggling. And we really want to help them in that. Yeah. Um. So we're going to... Uh, probably end there uh but if you want to ask us any more questions because we know this is a bit of a quick fire um overview of our stories mm. do contact us you can email us on hello at saltwaterandhoney.org um you can find us on facebook instagram twitter under saltwater and honey um and do go and have a look at the blog if you haven't already and we look forward to getting to know you over the coming episodes <laughs> yeah so we hope yeah we hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts that they're helpful and encouraging and we look forward to um hanging out with you again soon take care bye, bye.